You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 23 will begin in verse 27. Kind of back up a little and we'll run down. And there followed him a great company of people and of women also, which bewailed and lamented him. Jesus carrying uh, the cross. Simon, Cyrene now has taken it. The two thieves and uh, Simon carrying the cross. Jesus no doubt staggering, having trouble. And uh, Jesus turned then to the women and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps that never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and the hills cover us. For they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the drying? And there were also two other malefactors led with him, so they're in the process, to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Messiah, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing that thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? We have Luke led by the Spirit, the Spirit writing through Luke, giving us this description of Calvary, the crucifixion. Luke alone gives us these particular verses in 34 where it says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We owe that to Luke. Verse 43, verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Only Luke tells us that. Verse 46, father into thy hands I commend my spirit. Three of the four sayings of Christ on the cross we have from Luke alone. And uh, Luke develops his picture at Calvary around those particular 
things. Again, we, we look at the scene. It's busy. It's chaotic. And uh, the, all the gospel writers, the crucifixion itself, the very fact, extremely brief. Luke just says, there, four, four words, there they crucified him. You could preach sermons on there. You could preach sermons on they. You could preach sermons on crucified, preach sermons on him. But it's all condensed. There they crucified him. And everything else embellishes it. The, the scene around it is chaotic. All of these women, women from Jerusalem wailing. There are women from Galilee, Mary Magdalene, Mary's mother, Salome, and so forth, standing at a distance. There are other women there. Uh, there are the soldiers, cold-hearted, gambling for his clothes. They've stripped him naked. They're gambling over his clothes. There are the religious leaders who have thrown all decorum to the wind. They're supposed to be representative of, of something dignified. They're mocking and railing. You have the thieves joining into the process. You have Simon the Cyrene there. We're going to meet a centurion who's in the middle of all that. There are all these personalities swirling around. Two of them that certainly in specific ways come before us is Simon the Cyrene. We looked at him last week. I believe he had certain things to say to us. He's the only one named, the only actual name we get around the cross, Simon the Cyrene. But in this picture, we get something from Luke that we don't get from the others, and that is the one of these thieves who turns to Christ, who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. None of the other gospels tell us that. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other gospels tell us that both thieves reviled him and mocked him. That's what Matthew and Mark tells us. Matthew and Mark call these men thieves, which means robbers, brigands. Luke calls them twice malefactors, which means evildoers. These are men, hardened hearts. They're callous. They've come into a lifestyle of stealing from others. Barabbas was one of them. He was a murderer, an insurrectionist. We're not sure everything, but these are guys who have long left the care of a mom or a dad that wanted to see any good for them. These are men, no doubt, that are Jewish. It's the context that they're in. Uh, these are men that have turned away from everything in frustration, have become brigands, robbers, evildoers, and they're nailed on either side of Christ. And Luke wants us to have this picture. When Luke writes the book of Acts, he'll tell us there that these things happen by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was God's specific design to place in front of us three crosses. Forever, whenever anybody sees Calvary, when they see three crosses, immediately they know what that is. That's God's design. He did that on purpose. And he gives us this picture. First of all, cer certainly the central cross speaks to us of certain things. It certainly tells us about man's heart towards God. There is Jesus Christ, God come in human flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what did we see? We saw him opening the eyes of the blind, cleansing lepers, healing the lame, raising the dead, feeding the multitudes, caring for widows, speaking the truth, the common people hearing him gladly. That's what we see. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what he gets for that, mocked, brutalized, and the supposed dignified people around him choose Barabbas. They choose a robber and a murderer over him. We see man's heart towards God here 
God in Christ on the cross reconciling the world to himself we see Jesus nailed to a cross that's man's heart towards God it's man's heart towards God today don't strive to be perfect because we know this if you were perfect they'd crucify you we get criticized for all kinds of things we didn't do welcome to the club You want to have prayer before a football game today, you get persecuted. You want to put out a nativity scene in a public place, you get persecuted. You want to, you know, say a pledge of allegiance, one nation under God, they have to fight about that in courts. There is a mocking and there is a hostility towards the things of God. You want to believe in creation, you're an idiot. Now, if you believe in evolution, you're an idiot. These days, with the scientific evidence that we have. But, but the point is, if Jesus was around today, to think that he wouldn't be treated the same way is naivety. If he was around today and he spoke to rulers and he spoke to leaders and he challenged them as he challenged Herod about his adultery. If he openly spoke about what's right and what's wrong and multitudes were going, he'd get shut down. Same thing. And we see in the central cross, certainly we see man's heart towards God. But we see God's heart towards man. Again, God in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. We see him there. It tells us in Isaiah, he is beaten beyond human recognition. He is marred more than any man. He's been spit upon. His beard has been ripped by handfuls out of his face. He has been beaten so brutally his, his face no longer looks human. Crown of thorns, scourged, bloody, languishing, nailed to a cross the heart of God towards man that the creator would endure that from his own creation Colossians tells us that in Christ that through Christ all things cohere they consist that he holds together the strands of the physical universe if he hadn't done that this couldn't have happened. He held together the knuckles that beat his face. He held together the nails that went through his hands. He held together the thorns that went through his brow. He held together creation. He came into the middle of his own fallen creation, subjected himself to his fallen creation, bore the weight of all that was wrong with it so that he's justified now to forgive. In the middle, we see God's heart towards man, certainly on the cross. So disfigured, so marred, Isaiah 53 says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. In other words, do you ever get in a, a public place around people and you may run into someone that's so disfigured, you kind of look, but you turn away real fast because you, you're, you're uncomfortable. I don't want to draw attention. I don't want to look like I'm staring. I don't want to ignore, but I don't want to stare either. Now, that's the way it was with Christ on the cross. It says he was, his visage was so marred. Isaiah says, we hid, as it were, our faces. You, you, you had to look at them, but you looked away. Just how terrible the sight was. God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We certainly see the heart of God towards man. Now the ones on either side. Simon is named. These men are not named. Verse 40, we are introduced to one of them. He's just called the other. So when you see him in heaven, you can say, oh... You're the other. You'll find out his name there. These two men, nailed on either side of Christ by God's predetermined counsel and foreknowledge. 
This is the lesson for all the ages because these are the two categories that everyone who has ever lived has been divided into, the acceptors and the rejectors, the lost and the saved. It's the same two categories of humankind through all the ages. In the beginning, it was Cain and Abel. They were taught by their father substitutionary atonement. Cain rejected it and came with his own works, his own religion, his own religious stuff, wanted to be accepted for what he could do. He was rejected. Abel came with the blood of a lamb. Someone else had to die to pay the price, substitutionary atonement. From those two streams flow all of the world's religions. There is human religion on one side and there is substitutionary atonement on the other side. That's what divides the world as far as God is concerned because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Here in this illustration, these two men are crucified. They are both the same distance. They are both arm's length from the Savior. They are both arm lengths from salvation. And there's nothing that distinguishes them. They are both robbers. They are both evildoers. They both have the same resume. They got nothing to bring to any credit to themselves. They're not religious. There isn't anything that would, you know, commend one of them over another before God, before God's holiness, before God's righteousness. They're malefactors, they're evildoers, and they're heir. And both Matthew and Mark says that when the leaders and the soldiers reviled him, it says those that were crucified with him, they cast the same at his teeth. Mark says those that were crucified with him also reviled him. It's only Luke that tells us in the process one of them begins to change. And we look at that, we think, well, you know, what is the deal? What happened? Why, you know, what, what is bringing about the change? And we, we do have a picture to look at. We can put ourselves, because the one guy's going to finally say in verse 39, the one malefactor which was hanged, he railed on him. That word railed there is to blaspheme. So it's hard to imagine what they're saying to Christ. But he's blaspheming him and then saying, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. But the other then answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Evidently the fear of God has begun to set in on this guy's heart. The reason seeing that we're in the same condemnation, we're being judged, we're going to die, we're all going to die here. We indeed justly, we deserve what we're getting. We receive the due reward of these. This man hath done nothing amiss. You know, it's interesting to see these two, one of them begins to change. One of them remains hardened and is cast off into eternity, into eternal darkness. It's an interesting picture. I wonder, you know, it, it, it certainly does this. It takes away all of our excuses. There isn't anybody here today that can sit here and say, Jesus doesn't want me, God doesn't want me, I can't get saved. No, this guy, the other... He's taken away all of your excuses, all of them. Both hang there, both get crucified. We know this, that as they're on their way to Calvary, he does hear Jesus say to the women, you know, he's crushed under the cross. This guy sees Simon the Cyrene grabbed, pick up the cross. Then he hears the women wailing and crying, carrying on, and he hears Jesus face beaten beyond human recognition, crown of thorns, all bloody. He says to them, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. That went deep into this man's heart. 
The days are coming when you're going to ask the mountains to fall on you and hide you. Every Jew knew that was a description of the judgment of a holy God when it would come. This guy had that tucked away now. Again, as they get to Calvary and they're nailing Christ to the cross, it says, then he said, the tenses are continued to say, then Jesus started saying, Father, forgive them or send their sins away because they don't know what they are doing. It's in that tense. So how many times did he say that? Did he say that three times, four times, eight times? We don't know. Evidently, he began saying it as they nailed him to the cross. They stand that cross up and it slides into the socket. Wham! That's when everybody screams because it pulls on the hole. Jesus, it says, is there and this thief is hearing him over and over say, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't understand what they're doing. Father, please forgive them. When people were crucified, we have Roman records, they screamed in pain. They shouted. They cursed the people that were nailing them to the cross. You know, it sounded like a maternity ward. You ever been in one of those? I've been there four times with my wife. You hear people screaming, you know, all these, you know, and, you know, some husband's saying, honey, breathe. You breathe. I'm going to kill you. You know, just, you know, just, well, that's just giving birth. Imagine this is a crucifixion scene. And they said they would scream at people. They would curse them. They would be screaming in pain. Jesus is saying, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. This guy, it's tucked away. Pray, don't pray for me. Pray for yourselves. Judgment is coming. You're going to ask the mountains to hide you. Father, forgive them. This guy's thinking, I need forgiveness. Anybody needs forgiveness. I need forgiveness. Somehow that is tucked away in him. And it isn't just the words that Christ spoke. It's the demeanor of Christ too, I believe. He's looking at him. He looks over and he sees this face ripped to shreds, this crown of thorns, and he's hearing in, in this calm demeanor, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I just can't imagine. You know, He starts to look at that and finally he says to the other guy, look, what are we doing? What are we doing? Because that's what happens in all of our lives. We come to faith through the word of God and through the person of Christ, the Holy Spirit brings us to conviction. We all come the same way. Somewhere in our life, we finally say, what am I out of my mind? Am I crazy? I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of the emptiness. He started out the same way the other guy did. Then all of a sudden something's changing. He's real. I'm going to die. I'm empty. I'm going to die. I don't know where I'm going. The mountain, I don't want to be one of those who are, who, you know, mountains fall on me, high me. I want to be one of those, Father, forgive them if I can be forgiven. I want to know. And something starts to stir in his heart. And he finally says to the other guy, what are we doing? Are we out of our minds? We're going to die today. Everybody in this room is headed for a hole in the ground. Unless the trumpet blows. That's what we're praying for. This guy is struck with his mortality all of a sudden. We're in the same condemnation. What are you doing? Why are you blaspheming? You know, don't you realize we're headed to the same place? And he says, and we indeed justly, we deserve this. That's repentance. That's confession. This guy all of a sudden is owning the fact, you know what? This is what I deserve. It's what you deserve. This guy, he hadn't done anything. 
We deserve this. He doesn't. He's done nothing amiss. And some type of transaction begins to take place in his heart. And ultimately then he turns and he says this, Lord, what was that like for Jesus hanging on the cross? Hanging on the cross. Maybe the only consolation for Christ in some ways at that point was he could probably still smell some of the spikenard that Mary had poured over his head. But now all of a sudden, there's someone next to him who sees him more clearly than Peter, James, and John, than any of the religious leaders, than any of the priests, than anybody around them. All of a sudden, out of the mouth of the guy next to him comes this word, kurios, Lord. He said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life a ransom for many. He's the one who's going out to get the lost sheep and bring them back again. who's asked his father to forgive all of those that are abusing him. And all of a sudden he hears, here's the first trophy, the first trophy, trophy of the cross. This, this word comes into his ear, Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just, again, think, you know. People, again, had believed in Christ because of his miracles, all the things he did. This guy's looking over and a brutalized, beaten, defeated, you know, mocked and mangled. You know, somehow he sees beyond the crown of thorns. He, he sees some other crown. Somehow he senses another world. There's another kingdom. He says, and he acknowledges him as Lord and King. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a thing. Just imagine that. What kind of faith? Other people had faith because they saw someone healed or raised from the dead. This guy... Imagine the faith that he has, what he perceives, what he sees. It's remarkable. It's put in front of us here. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What he hears is, verily I say unto you, today shalt thou be with me, not in purgatory, in paradise. How remarkable. Listen. Think of the picture here. He doesn't hear from Jesus. Uh, excuse me, weren't you one of the smart Alex? And you know, an hour ago you're blaspheming me, making fun of me, and now you want favors. A little too late here, isn't it? Does he say, you know, excuse me, haven't you been a robber and a brigand your whole life? Does he say to him, you know, I'd love to, but you haven't been baptized? You haven't made your first Holy Communion. You weren't christened. You haven't done indulgences. You need to go to my mom. Listen, it's the reason that God puts three crosses in front of us. Because those, these men, their hands are nailed down. Their feet are nailed down. They can't do anything. The only thing that can function is their heart. And Paul says it's with the heart that man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. God has done this deliberately. He's put the Savior the same distance from two men with all the same credentials. One's as sinful as the other. They're, they are nailed to the cross. And one of them finally in his heart turns and says, I deserve this. I, there's repentance. I know I deserve this, but he hasn't done anything wrong. Lord, he owns them. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
He can't take his first Holy Communion. He can't help the poor. He can't join the church. He can't get baptized. He can't do any religious stuff. He's nailed down. That's the way God God wants us to see that. Because all people are saved the same way. He can't even give Jesus, Lord, I'll give you my life. You're going to be dead in a couple hours. Great. He can't even give the Lord his future. I'll live from you. From now on, I'll live for you. You mean the next 20 minutes? What are you talking about? He can't offer anything. God has them there in front of the whole world. The central figure on the cross demonstrating man's heart towards God and God's heart towards man. And then on either side, two criminals, two evildoers. Both of them nailed down. They can't do anything religious. They can't do anything good. They can't earn their way into heaven. They can't do nothing. Their hands are nailed down and their feet are nailed down. And one of them begins to change in the heart. And the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And we have this remarkable picture of this guy turning confessing, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord saying, today, not a word of reproof. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't, he says, today, because this guy thought, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, wherever that is, at the end of the age, whatever your kingdom, he says to him, today, you're not going to hang on the cross and suffer for, today, for, for days on end, today. You'll be with me in paradise. No reproof, no rebuke today. And I think, you know, here's a guy, a new believer. You know, I think, you know, his heart must fill with the words of Christ. He must fill with the words of Christ. He hears Jesus next say to John and to his mother, you know, woman, behold thy son. To John, behold thy mother. He must be thinking he's so tender. He's so caring. Oh, I've, I've come to know the Messiah. Father, forgive them. I like this. Then all of a sudden the lights go out. Blackness. That's not good. Everything's dark. The guy's hanging there. And then he hears Christ scream out of the darkness, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What did that thief think then? He must have thought, ruh you know, if he just got forsaken, how am I getting in? What's happening with the kingdom stuff now? What did he think when he heard that? He did then after that hear, it is finished, paid in full to Telestai, I wonder how he took hold of that. And then wonderfully again, Luke tells us the first thing that Jesus says and the last thing that Jesus says, they both begin with the word Father. No longer my God, my God. Now it's Father into thy hands, so I commend my spirit. The guy goes, oh, yeah, that's right. That's good. And Jesus' head then slumps down. He's gone. He's gone on before him. He's crossed over. He's crossed over. And then come the Roman soldiers. Christ is already dead. Thrust the spear into his side. Blood and water run out. Rupture of the pericardium. He's dead. But the other two, they take huge mallets and they break their femurs. They break their legs so that they can't push themselves up to breathe. And then within minutes, they will also be gone. 
suffocated, their heart will rupture. And all of a sudden, this guy slips out into the light. And his comrade is waiting for him. Today you'll be with me. And he must find himself laying at the feet like burnished brass burning in a fire. Looking up at one whose countenance is like the sun shining in his strength. Girt about with a golden, you know, breastplate. He must look. And one nail-pierced hand reaches out and takes the other nail-pierced hand. He pulls him up. The man must look. No doubt Jesus presents him to the Father, the first. And we know, Jesus told us earlier what the Father says. The Father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be married, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to make merry. Jesus said, when one sinner save all of heaven rejoices. He's the first one. He's the first one. I'm sure heaven rejoiced at the faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, I don't think heaven ever resounded like it did when this first blood-bought sinner comes from under the cross of Christ into the kingdom. That's what it was all about. It began this great heritage. How many thousands have come to know Jesus Christ because of this man? You know, Spurgeon draws a picture of him on Judgment Day coming, and everybody's receiving rewards, and he said, Lord, I'll just slip by. I, just, I understand I got saved at the last minute. And the Lord said, no, 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 wait. You know, here's however many hundreds of thousands in prison, thieves, robbers, because of your testimony that came to me. Here are all those deathbed conversions that the last minute of their lives, not deserving anything because of the, being such terrible sinners, because of your encouragement, were afraid to ask. They weren't afraid to ask me to forgive them. Here's the rewards. How many have come that way? I think this guy would speak to us and just say to us, look, never pass up the opportunity when it comes. He didn't know when he asked Christ to remember him. He didn't know the sinner's prayer. He didn't know the four spiritual laws. He wasn't trying to read a track up there, you know. What he did was he experienced the word of God and the presence of Christ. That's how everybody gets saved the Word of God, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he would say to everybody in this room, you have no excuses. You have no excuses. I was completely undeserving. I was not able to rectify anything. I was nailed down. And only in my heart was I able to cry out to him. And he received me. And he took me to glory. I was a thief, an evildoer, a robber. I deserved nothing. Everybody around me on earth disdained me and hated me, despised me. 
and he received me. He would say to us, I believe, don't pass up your opportunities. The question is, what would the guy on the other side say to us? Because he was the same distance. He was arm's length from the Savior. He was arm's length from the same loving forgiver that brought his friend to glory. And he was lost forever. You know, I would just challenge you this morning, listen to this man that we know as the other who would say, do not pass up your opportunities. If the word of God and the presence of Christ is pressing on your life today, don't turn away. You don't have to know how to say it perfectly. You don't have to have the perfect words because he knows your heart. And if in your heart you can say, you know what, I'm going to die. I'm going to be lost. I deserve it. But Lord, I'm coming to you. You know that transaction within. I don't want to play church. But I want to know that you love me. I want to know that you forgive me. I want to know when I die, I'm not going to go to hell. I want to know. It's abundantly simple. It's abundantly clear. God the Savior. Two thieves. One rejects. One accepts. No religious behavior no earning their way in, no being worthy of it, no deserving it, no playing church, no baptism, no confessional, no communion, no religious stuff, a heart. Turn to Jesus Christ in a body that's now down that says to him, Lord, I know you have a kingdom and I know you're the king. Would you remember me? And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we'll say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to have the musicians come. We'll sing a last song. I want to speak to two of you, or let this guy speak to, 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 to you in two ways. If you're a Christian and you're here, you know, you've been backslidden, or you've been AWOL, you've been a prodigal, you've been away, and you're condemned, you're wrestling with condemnation, please let this man speak to you. It's a matter of your heart. He couldn't perform any, he couldn't do anything to make up for anything. He didn't have any time to do that. He couldn't perform anything. He couldn't make himself worthy. Because what we do as Christians, when we backslide, we do stuff. So then we feel terrible because we know we've sinned against light. We read the Bible telling us that we can come back, that he loves us. But we, we have such a struggle to forgive ourselves. It doesn't matter whether you forgive yourself. It matters whether he forgives you. And if you are his child, you need to come back to him. And this thief would say that to you. You have access. She's looking for your heart. It was the problem in the first place. Why you get you ended up at a distance was because of your heart. Bring your heart back.
And to those of you who are here that have never come, you can't do anything. You can't earn your way in. Please don't sit here and say, well, I'm going to come to Jesus someday. I need to get it together first. You ain't never going to get it together. He ain't got it together all these years. What makes you think you're going to get it together now? And he ain't asking you to get it together. He's saving untogether people. He will put you together after he saves you. That's when you'll get it together. You come the way you are, a thief, a brigand, a robber, an evildoer, and we're all that. Because it says if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you get mad at someone, you'd love to slug them, you've already committed murder in your heart. The, the, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. If you're here today and you've never come to Christ, you need to come to Jesus, not to Calvary Chapel, not to church. You need to come to him. The one who died in your place on the cross, who paid for your sins. He wasn't paying for his own sins. And it's so simple. I mean, that's why God holds these three crosses in front of human history. Two people exactly the same. One slips out into eternity into hell, and the other ends up in glory. And it was all because of an attitude of the heart. Are you willing to come to Jesus today, not Calvary Chapel? Are you willing to come undeserving, unworthy, unable to earn it or pay for it? Are you willing to come and accept freely from him his forgiveness and his grace? You'll never deserve it, but he will give it to you freely if you'll admit, I'm a sinner. I need to turn from all of this. I'm tired of the emptiness. I'm tired of the insanity. The rest of the world can mock him. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to know when I take my last breath that I'll find myself in his arms, in his kingdom. If you don't know that, then as we sing this last song, we ask you to get out of your seat wherever you are and come down and stand here and let us pray with you and give you a Bible. Coming down here, you're, you're saying this, look, I'm willing to repent today. I want to turn away from my sinful lifestyle. I'm turning to the Savior, not to Calvary Chapel, not to church, to the Savior. I, I want to do that today. I want a relationship, not a religion. I want to know him. I want to see him in my heart. I want to hear him. I want to walk with him. I want to know his love and his forgiveness. If that's you, then you come. Let's stand. We'll pray together. We'll sing this last song. It's not time for everybody to run out. And if you want to be saved today, you come. Father, I know you've overheard. We put these things before you, Lord, and, and look across this room, Lord. You see every heart here, Lord, that, that can't escape your love today, Lord, that can't escape your forgiveness today, Lord. You see every human heart, every life here that you've removed every barricade today by your spirit, Lord, by your word. You've opened the way, Lord, for every sinning heart, Lord, to come to you and receive what they could never deserve, Lord, your forgiveness your blood-bought salvation. Lord, we pray you would draw them to yourself, Lord, as we sing this last song. You add to the church daily such as should be saved. And Lord, we pray for your sons and your daughters, Lord, that have erred, that have gone out of the way, that you've been praying for, Lord, that need to be renewed and strengthened and embraced again, Lord. 
that quietly in the privacy of their own heart, Lord, you draw them afresh. Lord, we put all of this before you, Lord. We trust you to do the work, Lord Jesus. We, we look with anticipation. Do it in our midst, Lord Jesus, to your name and to your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.